0: Okay. <laughs> Could- I, and I just muted him, so uh, Lauren, I'll unmute you when you start. But welcome to uh, another episode of uh, Market Meditations with uh, Chris Heidel and Neil Modi. Yes,
1: welcome. Um,
0: today we're going dis- <laughs> to today we're going to discuss why you probably need to be meditating if you're if you've got money in the market. <laughs> oh, C- C- Chris. Well, I- uh, do you mind taking us through some of your reactions and some of what's going on in the market and uh, maybe what you're doing in your meditation practice to stay sane? <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think this is, um, well, it's clearly bigger than markets. Uh, This is about all of our um, mental stability and equanimity. I think uh, some of the advice of our mental health professionals gives us a good window into what we should be doing. Um, One of the things I always practice is what Uh, It's called temporal distancing, (laughs) which is looking out into the future. I mean, we will. Is this like social distancing? Yeah, kind of, I guess. But (laughs) looking out ahead in time, six months, maybe it's a year from now when the dust has settled and uh, we've come through this. Hopefully, (laughs) it includes me. But uh, looking back and thinking about what actions I've taken or would have taken, how I'd feel about them. Am I doing the things I think that are appropriate today Would I look back um, with a sense of accomplishment, a sense of pride, a sense of, um, of health that I did the right things, that I was taking all the necessary precautions, but not overreacting? And also that, of course, recognizing that in a crisis also is tremendous opportunity um the the panic that's all around us is very visible very real and um i think of course first step is for us not to give in to that there's a very real um cause for worry but uh, like all things even thinking and of course even sex it can be overdone i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, um, it's good to to take other precautions, too, like uh, making sure you're not isolating, that you're doing the best, of course, with the appropriate social distancing, to be around others um, who bring us joy. The relationships are what give our lives real richness. Um, spending time out in nature. Um, social distancing shouldn't impede that. Um, and just helping each other. Um, finding ways to help people who are important in your lives, businesses which are important, buying.
0: Um, uh, um, yeah, transition us into the market today in the fall. Yeah, 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 businesses. yeah. yeah. it's March 16th, in case we weren't clear about that, by the way. 2020. Uh, yes,
1: today is March 16th. There was a, a huge, uh, another huge, really big
2: number. <laughs> market, uh
1: But um, it is also interesting, too, to focus on the good things. You know, Neil, I mean, I I think um, we've been given a tremendous gift uh, in the form of lower prices. It doesn't feel like that in the immediate um, crush of the moment. But um, by some measures, the fall in the oil price is just one example. is a forced standard deviation event. Very rare um, to see prices capitulate so quickly. And of well, course you're
0: breaking up. You've got to say that again. Oil is say, a four standard deviation yeah, event. Yeah,
1: I think the, the fall in the price of oil last Monday was a, a four standard deviation event, it, extremely rare. And we have to recognize too then that that takes a lot of the risk out of uh, the forward looking equation. And again, if we can practice that temporal distancing, if we can look out ahead and see what today has given us. It's very likely that it's a tremendous gift. As they joke in real estate, the money is made on the buy, but that is true too in our endeavor in the in the financial markets and with any investment. Buying right is the key to success. So we we have that opportunity before us. Um, but again, too, we have to be mindful. There will be business dislocations. Many people will seek uh, bankruptcy protection. Many businesses will. Many businesses have become very highly leveraged in this upcycle, which has lasted. Uh, longer than any before it. So um, that expansion has now gone into retreat. And so again, we have to be mindful looking at those companies that have healthy balance sheets and and also what the, the market's offering us. The opportunity sets are changing very rapidly. So we're trying to stay on our feet. So, I mean, what what kind of things do you have a lot of your clients in? Well, we've had, uh, fortunately, a concern since 2016 about a slowing global economy and have allocated toward U.S. Treasuries, which have done the best, uh, long-term Treasuries, especially as interest rates have fallen, bond prices have risen. Um, we've allocated to gold, um, precious metals. That's worked um, not as well as Treasuries, but still it's provided a useful, very useful hedge. Um, For a stock market measured by the S&P 500, uh, which is down by about 23% year-to-date now, the gold price is down by about 1.8% or so over that time frame. So, that's given us a bit of a buffer. Um, Also, we've raised uh, higher levels of cash in portfolios than we've had for a while, though we have held that for a rather long time, the last year and change. Um, so that was a drag or a headwind for a while, but now it's looking um, rather fortuitous.
0: So you're going to start buying, or you already started buying today, or when does your buying oh. spree, if you will, start? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> To tell you how bad my timing is, I was buying some of the pipelines, which had already fallen before the Saudis' intransigence appeared on uh, last weekend. So... Uh, We were nibbling at uh, some midstream companies, pipelines, and uh, the like, uh, as well as some oil majors, um, like the Norwegian oil major Equinor, um, before the Saudis announced this price war. So, we took a bit of a further ride down on Monday and uh, through last week. But we still think about these companies as uh, tremendously cash flow positive. Also, in gold mining, we had positions built there thinking at least that that would work out as somewhat of a hedge. It hasn't um, performed that function, um, not fully. Last year was a great year for mining companies, but I think um, it's important to note that they are enjoying the largest cash flows ever, (laughs) ever. And this was last year um, at a lower realized gold price. So, Throughout the year, Wait,
0: why are they? How are they able to get better cash flow than they've ever had before? What, like, is it? Gold is much, yeah, much more valuable than it's ever been. So even at a twenty percent discount, it's still very valuable. What's what's going on? Technology yeah. change?
1: Yeah, both both of those things, Neil. Exactly, those are great insights. The the technology, which even some of which was borrowed from the fracking industry, horizontal drilling and um, getting better core and test samples, has led to more efficient results um more productivity from the mines um, but also again a high realized gold price and better cost containment the the mining industry um, is not always known for the best governance standards <laughs> they've they've uh, and in the first uh, leg of this gold bull market which took us from say roughly 1998 through 2011-12, the mining industry um, reacted in some ways quite irresponsibly. Mergers were undertaken at very high prices. Um, there was a, a, a not a real tendency toward uh, capital controls and responsibility. Um, and the industry, through the last five six years, has become much more sober. the um, the The spending is well contained. The average um, all-in sustaining cost to mine an ounce of gold has, has never been more reasonable, really. I think that uh, the combination of technology and more responsible governance has really helped. And again, we've seen a higher realized gold price. That confluence of factors has really led to, uh, again, huge cash flows, the paying down of debt, increasing dividends in that space. Um, And then just starting last week, or really a week and a half ago, many of the mining companies um, took it on the chin along with Mr. Market. So uh, they've fallen down, even though they had a good year last year and are still up more than the market over the 12 months. We see this as a tremendous buying opportunity there as well.
0: Interesting. So overall, is your portfolio, I mean, this is a weird snapshot in time because the market Mm -hmm. fell even more. Mm -hmm. Is the portfolio up or down for... Oh, down, yeah. Year? For the year,
1: uh, depends on which portfolios we're talking about. Yeah. We do run a few yeah. different models, some for income, and uh, though most are down, we're across the board down anywhere from uh, four to eight and a half percent. Um, though I'll have to look again after today's close and see <laughs> what the. But but today's close like makes to you more excited, made. right? What's that about
0: making more money? But today's close makes you more excited about making more money. Is that is Oh, that absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's, um, it really is, um, again, these events happen only, um, episodically. And it really does sometimes take a, a sense of courage or again, temporal distancing, just thinking out ahead, um, to give you the insights and the courage even to act. But when I look at these companies, I do know. Um, many of them have pristine or really strong balance sheets they'll weather the storm and um, again if I think further about it even more deeply what the Fed has authored the central banks uh, and overall and what they continue to do is to cheapen the currency in re- in response to this weakened uh, credit um, environment yes, so
0: f- by five percent in a single day right yes yeah yeah <laughs> the market sort of took
1: that as a desperate move of course it is um it may yet it popped up like the market restful. went
0: for 90 minutes did i read that right one and a half trillion dollar injection is helpful for 90 minutes to the market yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the
1: market <laughs> swallowed that whole. i remember when when greenspan bailed out long-term capital management with 3.5 billion dollars or 3.6 billion and people cried and now I can't tell. Is a trillion dollars a lot, Neil? Is that any more? Does, <laughs> does that ring a bell? You know, I, I have, have a hard time counting
2: it really? It's
1: hard to know nowadays. But, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, the $750 billion tarp, which Hank Paulson said he chose that number because it wasn't a trillion, which would scare people, and it was more than half a billion, which he didn't think was enough. It was a psychological number. Now I guess even our psychology's got to expand
2: <laughs> for these for, numbers,
1: which unfortunately sure. don't have any real meaning except uh, as a measure of emergency and emergency response.
0: Well, part of the way it's, is they put the money into the economy, right? So this isn't really helping out. Um, you know, my, my wife works at Microsoft, and I was trying to read about this the other day, and I've got a couple different sources, but. It takes three to four people to support her for every person who's got an office at a building, right mm-hmm. from from the road workers to the janitors on the road to the janitors in the building. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of those folks uh, very unfortunately are, are living check to check and uh, can't afford to miss um, a little bit of a check. And um, those are the ones who are going to be impacted the, the most, it seems like is and I, I kind of think that stimulus package shouldn't have just gone to the treasuries it should have gone to literally to people's houses who couldn't maybe just to everybody's houses um yeah Because they might have spent the money more wisely
1: yeah a, a, a george bush the younger style uh a check right your 700 700- uh, literally a check that's check. what i said yeah yeah oh i'm i'm not averse to that you know i know um Andrew Yang's universal basic income and many of those proposals have met with derision, especially from my corner in the financial world. But I don't know why it's a law or a rule that money has to be introduced through the banking system. Um, we see where that's gotten us over these years. Um, yeah, the, seems, the monetarist.
0: seems like Lauren, L- Lauren, our, our guest listener has a question. Yes. Lauren, you are unmuted. You can join us for a question. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I, I was just saying. You know, it, it it's interesting because I was following yes, the correctly. Yang campaign. You, yeah. you guys can hear me, yeah. And you know, he's an interesting thinker. It's certainly mm-hmm. pretty clear this it was <laughs> but I what I find most peculiar is that apparently. Mitt Romney is now suggesting a thousand dollars per month huh. per citizen yeah, from the enough, federal government. Right,
0: that's the problem. Or at least right now, well, what, for these yeah, janitors, right? That's the ones. That's the right, ones I'm really worried about. The security guard at your building that, that I love, um, Chris.
1: Yeah, thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there it will
1: fall unevenly. This economic burden, of course, to. Um, Leisure, hospitality, restaurant workers, of course, uh, the burden seems uh, to be quite heavy. The airlines disproportionately travel, Um, um, as well as, of course, all the service workers. Um, Gosh, the people who do my wife's hair (laughs) all along. I mean, we can do our part, as many of you are aware, to buy gift cards from those local and small businesses that we love and that have supported us in better times and um but yeah neil i don't know what's enough certainly it seems to keep introducing this through uh the the subsidies through the financial system and especially into the banking system disproportionately favors uh the wealthy uh asset holders and of course disfavors those um that we're talking about who have less in assets um and i do think that Yang was probably onto something. Um, I don't know if we can have both, introducing new money through the banking system and then directly through households. Um, The monetarists like Milton Friedman argued that the money supply growth should just keep pace with the um, population growth. I think...
0: But it's not, right? It's
1: not. No, 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 no. No, no. We can never have enough free money in the financial system. (laughs) But I think there's a there's a real argument that this is a a line of thinking that could be pursued and should be pursued. Um, There's a a better way to manage uh, the process of of new money creation and and possibly a more fair way. But uh, we're not there now and we are faced with this uh, crisis right in front of us. So um how,
0: how do we know where the bottom is of this market?
1: I don't think you ever know. Look, I, I just told you how bad my timing was. We were buying pipelines two weeks ago and ouch.
0: <laughs> you, 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 but you're such a funny guy, right? You you've told me so many times, Oh Neil, my timing is terrible, and yet you make money almost every year you've ever existed.
1: I don't know if I would you've say every really year well. I've ever existed. I've had my um two down years backfilling. Yeah, well said but but it's um, <laughs> Yeah, you've done well but, but, I'm you, trying, how, how... But, but I'm always trying really to to um, think ahead, of course and um, just also recognize what's right before us. Um, yeah the the, the companies that will survive this again are the ones with the most sound balance sheets. The ones that um, the, there are a lot of productive assets. That'll remain, of course, but they'll be in different hands. (laughs) That's happened to me before too, Neil, where I thought I owned a great asset only to see the creditors and the banks take over. And they got the good assets and I was left with an equity stub that was worthless. So So you
0: just dollar cost average on the way down as well? (laughs) I, 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 I have done that. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 I've done that in the past. But to know when the bottom of this is, I don't think we can know. Um, for sure, and there'll be several waves of it. You know, this this first wave, we'll get a sense of relief. I think when the the numbers start to mirror what we've seen in South Korea, um, in uh, Vietnam, in Singapore, Taiwan, where, uh, and even China, if we can believe those numbers, where it seems like the containment. Right, we can't. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> well, we can't. Right, right. Maybe the trend, though, is is at least somewhat believable. In that they've been able to contain some of this better, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm skeptical. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it's it's still early. But again, that seems to me the first wave of it, right? Where where there's going to be a sense of relief that um, this thing appears at least under control. Um, But then the economic dislocations with a lag come. um, And we'll see um, who's fallen out of bed uh, and who can't get up who needs help and assistance and who can't get that help and assistance. I I don't know how long the oil price can remain in the basement either. It's,
0: I mean, what, what is it, what was the, I I have, I was trying to look at cost of oil per barrel Mm -hmm. from when I was a kid and I would buy gas at 99 cents, right? I turned 18 and I, you know, was able to borrow my parents' car whenever I wanted to. And it was 99 cents a, a gallon. It was like 12 or 14 bucks to fill up that tank. It was phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, the
0: versus whatever I pay today, right? Yeah.
1: The Um, the oil price has been as low as two dollars a barrel in my lifetime, as high as one hundred and forty seven. So what was it in the early 2000s, late 90s? So in the late 90s, which is the kind of almost a mirror of what I think we're seeing today in the markets. um, In terms of some pricing, we saw oil at 11 to 12 dollars a barrel in 99, 98, 99. All commodities okay. prices were at a very low ebb then, um, certainly relative to financial assets as they are today. And, uh, Wait, so
0: where are we at today?
1: But the oil price quickly tripled up into the year 2000, almost unnoticed because of the dot-com craze. So oil went from 11 to 33 a barrel relatively quickly. Um, we noticed it, but again, yeah. it was kind of overshadowed by still the raging dot-com boom, which was going on uh, very quickly to end, but still impressed on people's minds and sort of blinded them to other things that were- Wait, on what did
0: oil place. close at today? Or what's oil trading at today?
1: Uh, close to $32 a barrel.
0: So close to the 2000 price, mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Close to the 2000 price and it, it rose, you know, up um, to 147 a barrel by the time of the 2008 crisis.
0: So you've been a terrible predictor in spite of being able to make really good money. Um, I, I, where do you think that oil price will be a year from today? Ha, <laughs> you,
1: you just announced me correctly as the world's worst predictor or one of them. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> and then know, asked me for my I've little- learned
0: a lot about like even how to do a venture deal in all of our conversations. Uh-huh. I've learned a bunch about how to look at them just because I, I kind of look at the top and the bottom differently as, you know, and, and the nuances of the top and the bottom differently. Um because of how you look at ranged conversations. Uh-huh. I don't really quite get to dollar cost average. Um, hopefully, maybe at any point, because, you know, I'm, I'm picking right and things are only going up. Um, so I guess I can dollar cost average up, but not really down the same way you can. How is it you're thinking about the bottom of, of the oil um, or, or the top of the oil? Where does it, you know, how is it you even think about a year out? What does oil look like? well you know the temporal distancing how is it you think about the oil price? <laughs>
1: well what i what i really am trying to do is take the risk of guessing the future out if i can look at companies today that have decent or really prolific cash flows that have strong balance sheets then i don't have to guess the future and so is chevron an example of that chevron um kind of equinor the norwegian oil giant's a better example stronger balance sheet good proven and probable reserves Um, Even inferred reserves are growing. They're drilling off the coast of Norway and 100 meters of depth, which many companies have to dig 10 times or drill 10 times deeper. So, they have a good cost profile, a good strong balance sheet. They're paying us a 7% dividend at today's price. Uh, We get paid while we wait. So, something like that, um, just as one example, uh, please, everyone, do your own due diligence. But is a is a good um, example of what uh, we we see nowadays. There are equally some midstream companies, you know, the pipelines that transport or push the hydrocarbons around the the country from the wellhead to the refinery and from the refinery to the utilities, etc. That have a very stable business model. They have four to six year contracts typically, and um, they're not directly tied to the price of hydrocarbons, oil and gas, thankfully. But uh, sometimes they still get thrown out, uh, the baby with the bathwater. And uh, many of those have um, completed capital uh, expenditure projects and now just have maintenance capex. So much lower cost profiles and again, um, significant cash flows. Um, this store See, you're, take-
0: you're just trying to find companies, will say like this, Mm -hmm. that you think a year from now will be doing well no matter what, even if wherever the price goes.
1: Right, right. And then there are some, like I I used to read about Ben Graham's net nets that he would find, companies that were trading for less than their net assets, net cash even. Um, And there are some that I'm starting to see now. Bed Bath & Beyond is one example. They have Seven dollars a share or so in cash on the balance sheet, and the shares today are trading at five, uh, six dollars and ten cents
0: or so. Um, and they well, didn't they close all their stores too? Or aren't they one of the retailers who? Well, they were. Is that is that book value or cash only, and how much is the debt?
1: Uh, that's just the cash. That's just the cash. Um, the a company like this that's now trading at what probably twenty percent of book value. Um, oh, 30% a book or so. Um, it's over $7 of cash per share. It's trading at less than that. It is a retailer. It's so marketing. it must have
0: a ton of debt though still, right?
1: Not so much. No. I mean, it's just been hammered by the Amazon effect before this. So many, many companies that were out of favor, not like the Microsoft that uh, you're fortunate enough to be, uh, but, um, but many companies have been sort of orphaned or widowed by the market even before, uh, and were thus residents of the investment doghouse before the, the COVID crisis hit, um, the COVID crisis has pushed them from the doghouse into the cellar. So many of these two, the risk is out. If, if, for example, Bed Bath & Beyond closed all stores, sold the inventory for what it's worth um (laughs) sold the real estate um investors could probably triple or even quadruple their money even if the business went under
0: at today's current price yes
1: so again it doesn't make for great cocktail party conversation but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. <laughs> wait, <laughs> Not the most no, optimistic uh, take, but, but really, uh, when you think about the security of an investment purchase like that, um, and, and and by the way, there's still a dividend, though that um, is always subject to change. The well, is- and
0: it's a store I actually still like going to oddly uh, to look for. We bought bath mats recently, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really want to do that on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to feel the softness of the bath mat under my foot. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a, there, there are um, clearly retailers which will survive, and I'm not suggesting that this is an example of one of them. It may be one of them. I just think, in its current form and at the current price, it is a very, very compelling investment.
0: So, so listeners, you hear that? Put ninety percent of your money into Bed Bath and Beyond. No, just kidding. Really, don't do that. No, don't do it. <laughs> you got to do your own research <laughs> on all of this stuff. Yeah. he's just sharing what his thoughts are about a specific company. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Go back to you know, Apple and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. They've got tons of cash on hand. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you look at? Like, I, you know, you and I I've, have laughed about Apple being a value stock for years by mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people in your industry. How is it you look at Apple and Microsoft today? What is it you know? obviously I'm always concerned on Microsoft anyway, but I'm always surprised by the number of people and the stats you're sharing about Apple. Like on the last episode, Apple's worth more than all of the oil companies you're looking at combined in some yeah. massive composite. Yeah. you know, it, How is it you're viewing those two companies today?
1: Well, I, I, I think Apple shows a sort of split personality. By some measures, it looks still like it has value. By others, it seems extremely rich. Um, from the 30,000-foot view, it looks pretty rich, like uh, priced for perfection, even with the recent declines. Remember, for the first time in, since 2008, 2009, Apple had four consecutive quarters of declining net income. So what what many uh, analysts reluctantly call, and, earnings recession. (laughs) It hit the S&P 500 as well. Both of them enjoyed price increases in 2019 in the face of falling net income. So um, it did seem like there's a change afoot. Um, And I just don't know where that will stop. Apple's introduced, you know, the credit card and the um, other ways, other
0: yeah, it's trying to swallow, trying to, you know, software eats the world. Apple's trying to eat the world, right? Correct, Microsoft's trying to correct.
1: Eat the world. And, and and trying to find different revenue streams to offset the decline. I even don't know if the way we use technology today, whether this phone interface five years from now is going to be the dominant way we take in news and information.
0: Well, I, I would take that back. Yeah, I think we're going to take it in the same way five years from now.
1: You think so? The
0: dominant way, yeah.
1: I mean, look, it was only... 10 there years you go. Ago. I haven't
0: made many predictions on our show yet. 25 episodes in. 20. This is what I'm taking.
1: You're taking that. So five years. Look, 10 years ago, though, we used the phone as a phone. Now we don't use it as a phone. <laughs> so so Is this what really tease you about not
0: using your phone as a phone? It's a little, little phone? computer.
1: Yeah. I, I, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Will we change our our computing habits? Uh, again, I, these are questions I can't answer. I, I'm just raising them because... Uh, they bring to mind the the ubiquity of the phone, the saturation of that market, um, and the changing consumer preferences and tastes, which I've seen uh, very recently and in our lifetimes with even just how we use that device. Um, what will it be well, in the future?
0: You know, Eugene Stein, who works with me on all of the IP, talks quite a bit about dominant design and how hard it is to get people to even change their their tone and mind about it. And that's why they still call it the phone, even though it's just a mini computer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, that's why iPhone still named it that way. So we, we should have him on at some point. Oh, that would um, be fantastic. Would be, yeah. 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 I, I'm kind of curious about, uh, how you're telling people to hedge today, right? So you get these weird calls all the time, right? Um, how is it, you know, how does you, you talked a little bit about what hedging looks like, you know, trying to buy uh bed, bath and beyond. Um, mm-hmm. And you know the Norwegian oil company,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but are there any other like tried and true strategies that have worked during the other major downturns in the world? Um,
1: yeah. I mean, other than gold. <laughs> other than gold I'm
0: yeah. yeah, I'm Indian, right? So don't go to gold. That's yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Physical gold bars in your basement, Neil, or in the, at the temple. Oh.
0: <laughs> I yeah you know i wouldn't trust him at the temple but yeah, yeah 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 yeah
1: um hard assets generally have been um sought as a refuge um and to be more specific that does mean commodities
0: um but that doesn't mean real estate
1: okay it does it does it can um you know things where there are fewer intermediaries between you and the actual physical asset um as an antidote to financial assets where you have counterparty risk, um, investors will gravitate toward uh, um, harder assets. Um, Hedging strategies um, where you're taking some uh, out of the money puts possibly on on high flyers or on the indexes, but also uh, offsetting that cost by selling puts at a lower level Look, uh, the, the S&P has shown um, remarkable resiliency. Um, when the index falls around 35 to 40%, <laughs> there's usually a bounce back. Sometimes it isn't sustained, but at those levels, you can expect uh, some aggressive buying to come in. Sometimes, of course, before that happens. But still, at those levels, um, the market usually has a rebound, sometimes a sustained one. Um, so, uh, in a panic, selling protection to people who want to buy it in the form of selling put options can bring income to
0: you. Um, is this is like selling covered calls, same kind of thing. Kind of, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the selling covered calls is generally an income-producing strategy. Um, only this. Um, is as well, but um, really is meant to offset the cost of other hedges. And again, you can participate on the upside if the markets react as they historically have and bounce. Um, and again, those, those things can be paired. Um, Christopher Cole, who's a volatility fund manager for Artemis Research, recently published a piece about developing a 100-year portfolio. I highly recommend it. It's the parable of the eagle and the snake. The... We'll put the
0: link up. And the
1: yes, we'll have to because I can't even get the title right.
0: <laughs> chat, chat, it's on you to find it and put it up for us. So show notes. work. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But in it, he talks about building a hundred-year portfolio, which, of course, has a component of gold uh, that stood the test of time as commodity money for. 6,000 years, so um, that has a place. Um, U.S. equities have a place, but I'm cautioned because I think if we were 100 years earlier in this, like at the time of the Spanish flu epidemic, we would have been counseled.
0: in the Great Recession, right? Yeah, we would
1: have been counseled to buy British shares, right? Buy the FTSE, (laughs) because that's the growth market. And uh, of course, without much research, you can think back and know that Great Britain's endured a difficult century, and many of the shares that were high flyers back in 1918, 16, 14, et cetera, back there a hundred years ago plus, that were British companies that dominated the globe, were superseded by the Westinghouses and the General Electrics of America. Um, Also back then, a hundred years ago, Argentina looked to be a very promising investment field, and many were recommending investment in Argentina and even Russia, Post-revolution, not so good. Those two, <laughs> Britain was better, but the U.S. was the emerging market that that shined. So, I don't know. I uh, thinking of a a hedge, especially that far out or a hundred-year portfolio. To me, is um, an interesting exercise, but not one that's so fruitful right now.
0: So, you know, I want you to try and combine. Uh, let's assume Lauren has a couple more questions as we end this episode in the next five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's ask to see if Lauren has any other questions, but I want you to combine your answers to him thinking that, um, or maybe we'll just take a few more minutes at the end thinking about, you know, your specific, uh, 120 families that you, you know, care for uh-huh. on a daily basis. Uh-huh. Um, what, what else should they be hearing from you? What else should be, what, you know, and then there's, there's 120 families directly. And then there's, um, plenty of other families you're just friendly with who, who still, Try and seek little bits of yeah. uh, comfort from you. What 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 should everybody know? And let's start with Lauren's questions
2: to end. Lauren, you're you're unmuted and we're waiting for you. Yeah. So, so Chris, I, I know this is kind of rudimentary, but I'm going to assume that there are a lot of people that listen that are kind of like me. They've got a little bit of a portfolio. They have some retirement money. You know, maybe. Maybe they've got you know a few years of living in the bank, but they're they're concerned and they're looking at their cash and they're thinking, is this an opportunity or do I just need to keep all my powder dry in case I need it, you know, a year from now to pay the bills? Are we looking at forty percent unemployment down the road and you know an eighty percent plunge in real estate values? You know, what does this mean for those parts of the portfolio of a person's portfolio that are are not necessarily liquid, like private equity investments, real estate, venture capital investments. What does this mean for those markets?
1: Yeah. Uh, This is the beginning of, I think, um, an unwind in terms of um, the positions that you might hold, which are highly leveraged. I think first looking at your portfolio um, and again, practicing a little bit of temporal distance. If you can look at these positions individually um, or discreetly and see, would I be comfortable holding this for the next two years to three years, even not knowing what's coming? Um, If there's anything for which you've had uh, a less than welcoming feeling, (laughs) you should jettison it from the portfolio now rather than suffer through it. I also think The tendency becomes in crisis for us to hold the losers. um, And then when things get really tough, we sell those winners. Um, And again, our action should be the opposite. This helps us to get out in front of that a little bit. Um, As portfolio managers joke, and I had a mentor who always said, You know, the problem with individual investors, they're always uh, cutting the flowers and, and watering the weeds, right? They're always. Um, selling our, um, holding on to the losers and, and adding to them rather than, than the things that have done well for us. Um, I I think um, private equity has shown, um, as one example, a lot of excess uh, where there have been serial markups and just a tremendous amount of liquidity, which is now uh, going to reveal um, that some of these markups were not justified Um and you know those those positions, which um, many hold, might be great. Again, it, it depends. This is a sort of general question, but a general observation to, ma- to match it. Um, you know the the position of many of those funds we saw in two thousand and eight, where there were lockups, etc., um, uh, could of course recur. So. Um, And with private equity, it's really just knowing or evaluating the people that you're in business with more than anything, Um, even more than the underlying positions, of course. Um, As to a general question, if you're relying on your portfolio for income or to supplement your lifestyle, even currently, um, then it probably makes sense to make sure to have a year to a year and a half even worth of um, expenses, living expenses, in a liquid or stable position in the portfolio, um, if possible, that um, can allow us all to ride out with some equanimity the most difficult parts of the storm, which I think are to come, over the next year to 18 months. Um, if you're not relying on the portfolio for income now and you have a bridge that uh, of work and income that you feel comfortable can carry you through the next two years, a year and a half to two years, then I think you are uh, in a position with some luxury to think a little bit medium to longer term about some of the things we've talked about, um, these investments, which will, again, (laughs) in the future, um, look like steals, like bargains today.
2: Right. I, I I remember you saying, you know, it's, you know, buying well is everything, mm-hmm. and, and this c- these circumstances are certainly gonna create lots of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. But it, sound, it sounds like you're also urging caution and suggesting that those people with dry powder just keep their powder dry for now, that we don't have enough visibility yet.
1: Um, it, that is true in certain areas. In, in some places, though, I'd say we're getting um, good offers Uh, In terms of even income, we've, as investors, generally been starved for income. Um, And, again, we're seeing some, as I mentioned in the earlier part of this podcast, the oil majors, which are giving us great dividends, most of which can be sustained um, and I think will be. So um, you might even be able to transfer, to the extent you're comfortable some of the money that's in short-term bonds or um, sort of languishing in in corporate bonds um, now <laughs> into um, mm-hmm. equity that's at a low price, but that will pay you a higher distribution or dividend rate than you were getting on the bonds.
2: Um, a lot of corporate debt so, is going so, to be so, so you, be- so, you be- so you believe... I'm sorry, it's just, it's a hard thing for me to get my head around the idea that uh, equity dividend, equity dividends in, you know, sort of tried and true blue chip kind of companies Mm -hmm. can outperform coupon rates of, you know, traditional bonds. It is something that's hard for us to get our head
1: around. And this is an environment where, again, for the first time in human history, over 6,000 years of interest rate history, we have never seen negative interest rates. We we used to call them defaults. <laughs> now, now it's a negative interest rate. Anyway, that um, compares uh, less than favorably with some of the dividends that are on offer. Even should those dividends be reduced um, or cut, you'd still have a much healthier income from many of uh, these companies than you would from certainly corporate bonds and even high yield bonds now, where the Should are- we all be borrowing as much money as we can right now? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it depends on what you're going to put
2: that money to use for. <laughs> What's the use to which it is to be put? Sounds, sounds like you're suggesting that there there are there are you know relatively safe equities that will pay dividends that you know dwarf the interest payments
1: um dwarf the interest payments i think will outperform them yes and i think again well a, a lot of the risk um has been kind of uh um has disappeared from par- parts of the market the 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 sell off's been pretty violent and again there will be third second and third waves of it but the especially i think in the energy in the oil markets you know neil and i have talked about this before but saudi arabia has needed an 80 to 85 dollar per barrel oil price to balance their budget they can borrow for a while but pursuing policies like this that are so contrary to one's self-interest usually resolve themselves rather quickly russia needs closer to 50 yes. dollars a barrel um so <laughs> i think you know we're going to see at least in that space is the example we've kind of focused on and again to to um just focus on this one space but it's one of the most acute examples that decline in the oil price took a lot of the slow decline in the oil price out of the picture that we would have probably experienced over the next six to nine months it all came front loaded it happened over a weekend and a week a weekend (laughs) 10 days and now um Prices are at a, a, a low, which, while it might be in the near-term sustainable, is not in the long-term sustainable. So, um, yeah, I would say so You think in the long-term
2: it goes much lower? I'm sorry,
1: ask that one more?
0: No, it goes higher, is what he's saying. It-
2: it, it wasn't clear to me whether you were saying in the near, in the long term, it goes lower or higher. Oh no, no, no the long
0: term it has to go higher. Yeah,
2: I. I yeah, well, yeah, yeah, in the very, yeah. in the very long term, but I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, two years from now. Price, yeah, price wars can't last forever. I mean, how long do price wars ever really last? Not, not, um, not two years usually. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's, here's, so kind of, to, you were talking about. Uh, the low lending rates and negative interest rates. And that got me thinking about Japan Mm -hmm. um, in the, that got me thinking about Japan through the late nineties and early two thousands. And the deflation that they experienced, which was accompanied by, I mean, the bank of Japan was essentially giving money away for free. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the first time in modern history we'd ever seen anything like that. And now we're we're essentially sailing headlong into the same thing, but under different economic circumstances. Um, do you see deflation as a significant risk? Yes,
1: I do. Um, but it depends on what we are going to see deflate. So I do see, yeah, <laughs> deflation in um, in the corporate debt bubble, which I think will affect, uh, borrowing rates and then, um, the profitability of many corporations, you know, it's not all uniform,
2: oh. Lauren, the, the, yeah, by, by, de- by deflation, I, I meant in terms of the purchasing power of the dollar, I think, and the pr- and prices. Yeah. I think the, the, the cost of goods good and services will go down. Don't you think, or not, maybe, not. maybe
1: not. I, I, um, I I don't know, but I think um, that given all of the talk and the success at devaluing the dollar that the central bank has had, um, and their promises to do more of it, that ultimately we will and uh, we will see consumer prices increase. I think that'll especially hit us in the commodity space, which is, again, Um, why I think there's a bit of a floor in the oil price. Um, Also in the gold price, Mm. um, because of a a weaker dollar, Um, as interest rates have fallen and the Fed has um, very vociferously urged uh, lower and lower interest rates and pushed them down, they've converged with the rest of the world so that the dollar, again, is not considered as a safe haven or a higher interest rate yielding um, currency. As it once was, so um, we're coming closer to Germany in that sense. And again, that decline in demand for the dollar, um, because our interest rates are now falling and converging with the rest of the world, uh, translates into a weaker dollar as well. Um, and again, I think we'll we'll see it smartly with with um, with consumer uh, prices, and again with commodity prices first. Um, I'm not sure about the cost of labor as much as um, a lot of economists look at that for inflationary indicators, Um, not immediately. And I do think there are going to be a couple of credit shocks, which, again, present us with a deflationary argument for asset prices. But I think consumer prices and and commodities will will exhibit
2: the opposite of the weakness in the dollar and, and strengthen. So as we talk about this, right? It, it, on the one hand, that's kind of an optimistic picture, it, it, at least uh, from like a retailer sort of perspective. But you know, broad, broadly speaking, those are those are two data points on a on a fairly ugly doom and gloom picture. You know, we're on, on the one hand there have been all these. You know, we've talked about we've talked about the dot com bubble, and, and I think. Uh, Maybe we ob- obliquely touched on the uh, 2008 2009, uh, you know, collateralized mortgage-backed security trouble, and then there was night. There was the 1987 crash, and you know, when we when we look back on those things, right? It, there was this Forbes article out earlier this week that talked about how. Although those all caused recessions, each each one of those did not have some sort of internal physical disruption to the economy. 9/11 being like another good example, right? There was a lot of uncertainty: Are we under attack? Are we going to be at war? What does this mean? And, and the markets plummeted, but they came back pretty quickly. And you know, in virtually all of these pullbacks, they came back pretty quickly. But here we have the you know disruption to the supply chain that we've talked about we have you know certainly coming unemployment or you know massive amounts of reduction in workforce due to people being sick or afraid of getting sick Um, and then you know you've got the you know that disrupts the supply chain and then you have the disruption in the demand in the demand side also you know people not going to fly on airplanes airlines having to shut down and every company is larded up with debt right now because it was the responsible thing to do when you could you know buy a million dollars in EBITDA for six million bucks and you could borrow that six million dollars at two percent you you've got to and so all of these companies are are larded up in debt and as we think about that what's going to happen when the demand crunch hits they're not going to be able to They're not going to be able to meet their obligations. And so I I do see the credit crunch that you're talking about. But I'm wondering if this isn't like a recession, if this is really, you know, potentially worse. Yeah. 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 Is is this? is this catastrophizing is this is this me catastrophizing because i am I'm, I'm a guy that earns my living by being able to see the worst possible thing that can happen
1: or, 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 is, or
2: is this or is this more than just the, you know ramblings of a paranoid man <laughs> they they're not exclusive right they could be <laughs>
1: It <laughs> can be all
2: those things. I um, right. just because you're, you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. But I mean, Chris, ba- based on your understanding of the economy, and, and you re- you referenced you know the Chicago School earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that you know, while what I'm talking about is speculation, a bunch of publicly available information, you have a wealth of professional experience that influences the way you receive and analyze the same information. What do you think about yeah. that conclusion on a probabilistic basis? I think that the
1: there are elements of this demand shock which will remain with us um, I think for me it's a bit early to tell um, how that feeds through the economy I I recognize that not only are corporations the most indebted we've really seen, um, we have consumers who also are carrying very high levels of debt. And there's a a time when that will have to be repaired, or a way that that'll have to be repaired. I, um, at least for now, I'm tending toward the side that that credit repair, generally in the overall economy, from a macro perspective, will be attained. As it has in the past through inflation. Um, I don't know yet what that means fully for the demand side, um, but again, on in places where I can feel confident, like the demand for hydrocarbons, um, the demand for hard assets, um, commodities, food, soybeans, I think there's a, a, a boom coming in the soft commodities as well as some of the hard commodities we've mentioned. Um, I'm watching those areas very carefully. Um, But yeah, you're right. I think with a lot of retailers, even Bed Bath & Beyond, I'm saying that that comes to mind just because even right now, from a liquidation standpoint, it's really cheap. I hope they don't liquidate, that, but that could be uh, one of the consequences of this dislocation that some retailers certainly won't ever come back. Um, This might finally be the the stake in the heart of Sears, which is like a zombie that keeps living on. <laughs> right, <now. If> <laughs> push him off the cliff or <laughs> something. But, but um, more seriously, I um, I do think a lot about this. All of the dislocations we've had prior um, have left a lasting mark. We've been able to cure them with lower interest rates, but now it seems that 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 uh, that water cannon is but a, a water pistol now. We really don't have much room to maneuver in terms of just interest rates um, and, and even with credit. We're already overburdened with credit. More credit doesn't seem to be the answer. So um, definitely there's a shift coming. Um, Lauren, one thing we didn't talk about was that there had already been, for the first time in six years or so, a shift in um, investment performance from more growth oriented names to value. This happened again um, last fall. And for the first time since really 2012, 2013, we saw a preponderance of investment flows going toward those so called value, undervalued names, rather than the growth uh, oriented names um, that make up the FANG stocks, et cetera. But I think that's a trend that's going to accelerate um, as people look for more tangible value. Um, I don't think I'm giving you any kind of satisfactory answers because I have a lot of those same questions. Um,
2: so essentially what you're saying is, you know, the future is likely to be in companies with strong balance sheets, high book, high book value and a, you know, low, but positive PE ratio. Mm hmm. I would say
1: yes. Um, yeah, yeah. The the ones we can count on to have um, not much variance in consumer tastes that won't be too affected, um, as best we can tell. Um, the many of the consumer product stalwarts like Procter and Gamble are still not reasonably cheap but um, those kinds of companies uh, striker in the healthcare space some of those look more and more attractive as we work through this um, this scare this crisis so um, yeah we try to think about this as perspicaciously too as possible there um, will be winners there will be losers I think right now of course the the thing to avoid are the Areas where there's just high, high levels of leverage and debt, that's the greatest immediate risk. Um, there will be bailouts again, but there will be uh, changes in ownership of those productive assets, even in the even with the bailouts. <laughs> the creditors get bailed out. the equity owners don't always. So
2: Chris, thank you so much for the chat. I really appreciate the opportunity to get mm-hmm. to talk with you. This has been really mm-hmm. uh, an absolute joy for me.
1: Oh, Lauren, thank you. I I thank you, too, for your thoughtful questions. It's uh, (laughs) some of them don't lend themselves to easy answers, obviously. And with me, I I don't often give them because I'm trying to think through all the possibilities. But I appreciate that. It really stimulates my mind and helps me to think through issues I may not have always considered.
2: Thank you. Continue to wash your hands and stay away from people. Okay, Chris. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you notice he didn't say that to me right <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm already I already put the fear will. of God in you
2: I will all right thank, thank you, thank you all
1: thanks Lauren great to talk to you yeah, um,
0: Chris is there anything else you think we should uh, well, cover before we end to
1: wash your hands keep them clean keep your thanks Chris yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stop your your um, uh, your habit of licking things.
0: <laughs>
1: Chris, I told you not to bring not that up. the right. <laughs> <laughs> episode. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. This is an interesting time, I guess for all of our listeners, I'd really like to encourage them to just take care of their mental health and uh, keep a sanguine and optimistic outlook. We will get through this. And um, you know, we, definitely don't want to feel isolated, even if we have social distancing. um, And we should combat that. And especially with those we love the most, make sure we're connecting with them in the most uh, safe and appropriate ways possible.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode.